0: I am standing for the guys at the back. (laughs) Some of you think I'm I'm sitting down. No, I'm standing. So a couple of years ago, there was a a wonderful TV program on DSTV that I used to watch. And you might think it's crazy that I would watch uh, watch a program like this. But it was called Project Runway. I don't know if anybody's watched Project Runway. Yeah, so it's about these guys that are in the fashion industry and they're into this competition and they've got to go through a whole lot of uh, design and manufacturing things and if they're successful, they go into to the Vogue ma- International Vogue ma- magazine and they can win a million dollars. But they have this beautiful model, Heidi Klum, that used to stand in front of them and say, one day you're in and one day you could be out. So people... you know, you're going to wear this t-shirt today and it's in fashion. It's like all the surfers, they know that uh, at one stage, uh, Quicksilver was like the surfers brand. Until the surfers brand found its way into the big retail stores like Edgar's, then suddenly Quicksilver died a death. One day it was in, and the next day it's out. Now Rod is like the name that everybody wants. And the same is applicable in our lives. So the scripture I'd, I'd like to give kick off with comes out of Matthew chapter 10, verse 39. I'm going to use the ESV, the English Standard Version. It says, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So one day you in and one day out. So you've got to make the right choices. So I just want to honor Hannes and Mariska and the eldership team first. It's wonderful to see how they are growing how they've made a comeback, to see all of you guys. I think it's two years since I was last year, which is bad. Uh, But it is very difficult. I said, Leslie's nodding her head. Yeah, where have you been? It's very difficult. You know, we've got 43 congregations, and to travel to 43 congregations, I think Chad only saw me once last year, to get around to 43 congregations in a year is extremely difficult. But we do try. And uh, so I want to honor them, but in honoring them, and for the work that they're doing here amongst you. It reminds me of the story which I'll be telling you uh, about Abram and Lot yielding to God's best. So, Abram and Lot got onto this hill, and Abram said to Lot, look in front of you. You can choose whatever land you want. If you choose to the right, you can have that. If you choose to the left, I'll take the the right. So Lot looked around, and it comes up a little bit later in the preach. And he looked at this beautiful land. The word actually says that it looked like the Garden of Eden. It was lush, green, rivers, lakes, full of game and full of sheep and goats and camels and donkeys. And he looked to the left, and it was desolate and dry. And he said, no, I'm going to take the right-hand side. I'm going to go that way. And uh, before I go on to that, God looked at Abram's heart and saying, "Okay, I'll take second best. You've taken best, but I'll take second best." And for this congregation, and particularly for Anderson Mariska, I would like to read Genesis chapter thirteen, verses fourteen to seventeen. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him. He said, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust on the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, Walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So, I'm amazed by this. So, if it was me, I would walk from Mia to Cape Town, to Gordons Bay, take a turn, head towards uh, Somerset West, go to Stellenbosch, over the hill into Fuster, all the way back to Powell, work my way around, Wellington, come back, pick up Melkbos again. And I say, thank you, Jesus, I couldn't have asked for a better place to live. I wouldn't go to the <laughs> oh, God dang, I've been there. I wanna go back there. You see, so when Lot chose the land to the east, Abraham went the opposite direction, and he didn't choose what was nice. He didn't choose which was looked beautiful and attractive. The problem was, with the area which Lot chose. It stretched towards two towns, Sodom and Gomorrah. And Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 13 verse 13 says, "The people in this area were extremely wicked and constantly sinned against the Lord." Now he may not have known that, but he eventually did, because he moved close there. He said, "I'll just it looks attractive. I mean, they've got all the retail stores. They've got a Willie's there, they've got an Edgar's there, they've got a Pick and Pay, a ShopRite checkers. I don't have to go far to get my groceries. I'll just live on the outskirts. But as we read the story, we find later that he actually became a leader in Sodom. How do we know that? Because he sat at the gate. Of Sodom, And you had to be a leader, somebody of high status in high standing to be able to sit at the gates to allow the strangers or the merchants to come and go. So he became a leader in Sodom. So sometimes we get excited about the things that we see, the external stuff. Oh, Cape Town. I want to move to Cape Town. There's a whole lot of Gautengas. I'm an ex-Gautengar. Got to move to Cape Town. That's the place of milk and honey. But meanwhile, Cape Town is fraught. I can give you a hundred reasons why Cape Town is just so bad at the moment. They say it's the gay capital of South Africa. Well, we live here, and slowly we start making compromises. And that was the problem with Lot. He started making small compromises, and eventually found himself deeply entrenched in Sodom that he became a leader. And what he didn't do was stand up and say, actually. I'm a godly man. I will not succumb to the attractions of this world. The worst compromise that he made is you're sitting at the gate and two angels in the appearance of man walked up to him and he said, Lot, you need to leave Sodom right now. He said, no, 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 wait. Just wait a second. Why don't you come and stay with me tonight. I will give you a feast that you can remember. And they said, oh, actually, and eventually he twisted these two angels' arms. And they went to his house. But as they arrived in the house, the crowd of men, young men and boys, came and knocked on his door. And said, give us your two daughters. Now, his daughters could have been the ages of 13, 15 years old. Give us your two daughters, or now give us those two men, because we want to have sex with them. Now the men are saying, give us the men, we want to sodomize them, we want to have sex with them. And Lot said, no, you can't take my guests, I've got to hold my guests tight, because I've got to respect my guests, I've got to honor my guests, I'll tell you what, you can take my two daughters. That wasn't a little compromise. He was willing to give his two daughters over to this, the whole town of men of Sodom to be raped and abused. I didn't at any point say, listen, I'm a man of God. You know, If I call out to God now, he can send a legion of angels to destroy the city. He had two angels, unbeknown to himself, sitting inside of his house. He kept his mouth shut. And most tragically, as I said, he didn't say anything about being a servant of God, and he had faith in God. And in the end, Sodom was destroyed, and Lot and his family were saved. It's interesting that the angel said, you and your family and your relatives, go and find them, bring them out of Lot. Now, both of his daughters were engaged. Now, this is important. Both of his daughters were engaged. To be married. So they went to the fiancés and they said, You better come with us because there's two men that said that God is going to destroy this place. Come with us. And like many of us, we will make the decision when somebody comes to us. Some of you are not saved, some of you have not committed your lives to Jesus Christ, but somebody's going to come to you and say, Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? You say, No, no t- I know. Look, I don't have to make my mind up, you know, uh, one, in, in time to come. One day I'll, I'll, I'll serve Jesus. One day I'll commit my life. And this is what these guys said. They said, No, Chris, no, hurry. I don't believe that God's going to destroy the world. I don't believe that God's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. I can have it. That's just a rumor. It's a story. It's like Russia invading the Ukraine again. They didn't think it was going to happen. It's happening. China's going to invade Ty- Thailand shortly. And then we're in for the Third World War. We don't know. That's quite possible. Well, then God's going to intervene. Hopefully, and we'll see the arrival of Jesus. But these two young men said, nah, nah, we don't want to know about that. And they were left behind, and they were destroyed when God rained down fire and sulfur all over Sodom. So I'm going to give you four life-saving lessons quickly. Firstly, you need to be aware of the progression of, of sin in your life. Now, sin is missing God's mark, God's holiness. God wants us to be righteous, but sometimes, you know, you, we start making little compromises just as Lot started making little compromises and eventually was fully interested. Remember what the word says. Sin leads to sin, leads to sin, leads to death. Okay. Most Christians don't intend to become Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot never intended Sodom to become so influential over his life. And he didn't want to be included in his judgment. But many Christians are like that. They are so attracted to the world that they make their home to the world as closely as possible. So we walk like this. Instead of walking like this in the kingdom, we walk like this. One foot in the kingdom and one in the world. Getting old, I'm losing my balance. You nearly had a heart attack, eh? <laughs> you see, in the end, we identify as much with the world as we do with God. And we say these things, you know, but everybody's doing it. Everybody's going there. Everybody's got one. How many times have you heard that? And some of you might have said that as well. Charles Spurgeon said this, if you're going to be saved, be saved 100%. If you're going to be saved, be saved 100%. You can't be half saved. You need to be totally and fully saved, fully committed to God's kingdom. The most miserable person in the world is the half-committed Christian who is just enough in the world to be miserable in God and just enough in God that they're miserable with the world. Have you seen how many Christians walk around with long faces? They're not full of, filled with joy and happiness. They hope that's set before them. They've forgotten about it. And they walk around, oh, woe is me. You know, like my, my son lives in England. And uh, we've been trying to uh, evangelize to him and get him to commit his life to the Lord. I pray for him every day. And I do believe and I trust God that he's going to give his life to the Lord. But whenever we go to England, he lives in Sheffield. We, we, we witness to him. Not yet. You know, you guys are so boring. You're just so boring. I, I, I can't give up the lifestyle. We've got to go to the pub in England at 4 o'clock every day after work, have a couple of pints, and we come home and have a bottle of wine. No, we, we don't want to get involved in that. You see, the lure and the attraction of the world is so sweet in the people's mouths that they don't want to give it up. You see, when you become like that, your heart starts filling up with salt, and your mouth becomes parched, just as mine is as they don't have water yet. You see, you can't straddle two opinions. You can't keep to trying to walk with your feet as I try to walk on those chairs. I'm not going to do it again. You can't walk with one foot on one chair and one foot with nothing beneath you in the world because you will stumble, you will fall. You're either in or you're out. One day you're in and one day you're out. You're either in or you're out. And where do you want to belong? If it's with the world, I want to give you the opportunity today be 100% in the world. I remember Andrew used to do what he used to call Purge Sundays for the older congregants that are here. Yeah, yeah, Leslie's saying, now be careful now, you're talking about my son. He used to say, listen, if you've come here to warm one of the chairs, I don't need you. Go and find another church. But if you yeah, I want you to be part of the family. I want you to be sowing. I want you to be actively involved. I want you to discover what your gifts are. I need you to help us to advance this kingdom forcefully. Look at the fruit which we've achieved. When Andrew started, he had the vision for one congregation. One congregation became two congregations. We got up to COVID with 25 congregations. During COVID, we planted eight more congregations. We're now sitting on 43 congregations with 6,000 members, and it was so delightful to see all these members being prayed in here today. How awesome was that! Uh, you know, it, it pleases my, my heart. And you know, for the community leaders that prayed in here, you know, I can't tell you I want to jump up with joy to see newcom leaders being prayed in. You guys have got 15 communities. This congregation is probably about 150, 160, okay? We have congregations which are twice the size and only have 19 communities. Now, those people aren't being discipled. Those people are not being shepherded as you are going to be discipled and be shepherded. And this is what makes me so excited. Well done, Honest and team. I'm very excited about this. Now, if you're going to make a decision to be with God, be 100% with God. I'm 100% with God. And no, no! as I look around you, there's many of you who are saying, I'm 100% with God. Let's look at Matthew chapter 19, verses 17 to 22. And Jesus said to him, this rich young ruler came up to Jesus and he asked him a couple of questions. And he says, uh, he responds to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep all the commandments. And the young ruler said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbors yourself. So obviously he was quoting from the Ten Commandments. And then the young man said to him, all of these I've kept. You see the pride coming up in his heart. All of these I've kept. Many of us saying, I don't do any of those. And then Jesus said, and he said to Jesus, all of these I've kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure In heaven. In other words, you've got to be 100% committed if you're going to follow me. Give up what you got. Give up your cycling. Give up your surfing. (laughs) I knew that would get a bit of a reaction here in Mallee's, eh? (laughs) Give it up. You're running or whatever. Give it up, which has become an idol in your life, and be 100% committed to the kingdom. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful. Now, some of you are going to be very sorrowful when you take that surfboard that you've been holding on to for years and years. It's got ride printed all over it, stickers all over it, and you've caught the best waves, it. and you're now going to sell this thing, and you're going to go away sorrowful. Because you're now going to say, Lord, I'm committed 100%. Some of you are like, no, no, that's a radical example. Don't use that. <laughs> the second point that I'd like to share with you, very important, the coming judgment for you and I is very real. The coming judgment is real. For years, God had warned Sodom and Gomorrah about the coming judgment. And everybody brushed it off, just as those two fiancés brushed it off. What judgment? We're sitting here right now. We're not worried about a thing in the world. Maybe we're worried about our salaries, our pensions, our homes, or our kids. But the one thing that we should be worried about the most is the coming judgment. When you stand in front of Jesus one day at the judgment throne, are you going to hear... Well done, my good and faithful servant. Or are you going to hear? Go away from me, I don't know you. You're gonna say, But Lord, I prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. I came to church every Sunday. I went to community every Wednesday night. And he's gonna go away from you, I don't know you. Frightening, isn't it? Very frightening. The coming judgment is real. You see, but God makes no empty promises. So one day judgment came, and God tells us in His Word that He's very slow in executing judgment. And He wants to give us space to repent. He wants to give us space to repent. So how many of you don't like the word repent? Just yeah. Thank you for being honest. Honest. Thanks. No, repent is the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful words in the Bible. When you repent, confess your sins to one another. When you repent, you have immediate access into the throne room of God himself. And you can go to him and say to him, Abba, Father, help me. And he will grant you help. Grant me wisdom. He'll give you more wisdom than you can deal with. Father, Father Abba, I need you. And he'll give himself to you. Because you repented. But without repentance, you don't have access into the throne room. But that's another priest for another day. Hebrews 9.27 says this. it is appointed for man to die once. You're all going to die once. Just as you pay taxes, you're going to die. We're not immortal. And after that comes judgment. So we're all going to be judged whether we like it or not. Jonathan Edwards, the 18th century American theologian, said this regarding Jesus' teaching on hell. He says this, listen to this. Imagine yourself cast into a fiery oven, glowing with heat, red hot, white hot. And imagine your body was going to lie there for a full 15 minutes, a quarter of an hour, full of fire inside and out, feeling every fiber of it, the whole time. What horror would you feel just standing at the entrance of this furnace? And how long would that quarter of an hour or the 15 minutes seem to you? But what if you knew you must lie in this furnace, this white hot furnace, which is not only burning on the inside, but is burning on the outside, enduring the torment in its fullness of heat for 24 hours? unbearable. I don't think I'll survive that. But wouldn't your heart sink if you knew you must bear it forever in eternity? I'm a hat. I don't want that. Not for me and not for you. The greatest hypocrisy of all time is saying that you believe in heaven like all of us. we all believe in heaven. Amen? And not doing everything You can do to keep those who you love and care for out of heaven. You'd rather see them going into that furnace of hell. You've got your get out of hell card in your back pocket. like Monopoly. Get out of jail in your back pocket. You've got family. You've got friends. You've got kids. You've got colleagues that you should be praying for. Somebody was praying for me. I only got saved at the ripe age of 47. Somebody prayed for me, it must have been my mom that was praying for me, because I was heading downhill at a rate of knots. And somebody prayed for me, I saw the light, I met Jesus, and He's turned my life around completely. And then, let's jump to Genesis chapter 19, verse 24 to 26. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew the cities and all of the valley and all the inhabitants of the the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife, behind him, looked back and she became a pillar of salt. You see, if you're not 100% committed to the kingdom, if you're not 100% committed to Christianity, you're going to look back. Now, you know that drinking. I just went to the pub to eat some peanuts. And, and somehow, you know, they filled with salt. And I got thirsty. I just had one beer. Or just one more puff of that joint, on the surface. <laughs> Where's honest? Or just one more look, click, at that pornography. Pillow of soft. He's not 100% committed to the kingdom. The third thing that I'd like to share with you, the third point, and this is arguably the most important point. You cannot drift into godliness. You can't drift into it. Mm, I'm going to heaven. No. You've got to work at this. You know, living for Jesus in the world, you always feel like you're running an uphill battle. It feels like you're running up a mountain. It feels like you're swimming upstream. I mean, it's a hard work. You've got to get up early. You've got to read the Bible. You've got to pray and go to Jesus and say, Lord. Help, I need help, I can't do this. The pressure of the world, the attractions of the world, everything is against me. But I'm gonna, I believe in you, I, I have faith in you, your word is true. And all these noises are coming at you all the time from all over the show. And everything in the world is pulling you in the opposite direction. You start worrying, what's on your phone? I just heard it beep, I pick it up during my quiet time, oh. Ah, Stacy's she's looking for me. I shouldn't be on the beach surfing. I should be doing quiet time. Or <laughs> well, this is calling me away. Or that's calling me away. The lures of this world are meant to attract you and pull you away from the kingdom. That is Satan's strategy is to keep you as a non-committed Christian away from the things of the Lord. To go with Jesus, you have to swim against the current, and that takes effort. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 to 14, very important, The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide. For many who choose that way, but the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult. Oh, that's the part we don't want to hear. Becoming a Christian is difficult. You're going to face problems. And Paul said, count to pure joy when you face trials and tribulations of various kinds because we are all going to face it. We are all facing that. And I don't see you smiling about it. So I'm going through a tough time. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and only, underline this in your Bible, and only a few find it. Now, why do only a few find it? Because they're standing Like this. One foot in the kingdom, one foot in the world. I'm not going to stand on the chair. I'm going to be fully committed. I want to be 100%. You see, that was steady. See, God's helped me there. See, if you're drifting, you're not actively seeking to know God and His Word. And the more you study and spend time in God's Word, the closer you're going to get to Him, the closer you're going to know His character, the closer you're going to feel secure in His arms and in His love and His protection. But the less time you spend in the world, then you start relying on your own thoughts, your own imagination. You rely on your own wisdom. You rely on your own strength. And God said, if you want to find your life, you've got to lose it. And follow me to find it. Now, it's not that you guys, I mean, you guys are holy. You're <laughs> I know so to say amen. Leslie's looking at me and she's saying, yeah. You know, you don't reject the Bible. It's just that you give your time to other things. Like Instagram. YouTube. TikTok, Netflix binging, video games. I check all the young guys. Yeah, 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 that's me. <laughs> you spend all your time on your phone staring at life inside. them. I mean, look at the tone they're having. I wish I was there. They went skiing, and look at that wonderful blue ocean that they're swimming in. If only that was me. Can you stick that photo up on the board? True that, eh? How many times or how many hours do you think the average person spends on their cell phone a day? Six hours a day. Six hours of your day you spend looking at your cell phone. Just imagine if you spent six hours a day reading God's word. You guys would be levitating as holy people, demons would not be present. People, you would have an outbreak of holiness and righteousness. I'm going to read out of Jude quickly. Jude chapter 1, verse 17 to 23, the New Living Testament. It says, but you, my dear friends, must remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ predicted. They told you in the last time there would be scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy God the ungodly desires. Now he's not talking about the Philistines who don't, that aren't here at the moment. He's talking about you and I. He's talking about Christians that are in church. These people are the ones who are creating divisions amongst you. They follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's Spirit inside of them. But you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and wait The mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will bring eternal life. We all want that reward, eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourself safe in God's love. And you must show mercy to those people whose faith is wavering. So just as we have appointed new community leaders here, they need to go up to you and say, Mike, your faith is wavering. I'm going to come next to you. I'm going to pull you next to me. And we're going to do Bible study. We're going to pray together. I'm going to spend quality time with you. I'm helping him renew his faith and restore his hope and his trust in Jesus. He says, rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. You see, when the two angels said to um, Lot on the day, we need to go, give me a hand, Mike. They grabbed Lot by the hand and they pulled him. And they, they virtually pulled him out of Sodom. Is your arm around? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got arm wrestle now. See, they pulled him out of there. And sometimes we've got to pull people out of the positions that they find themselves stuck in. Because we have mercy. Because we want to see them coming through in the faith of God final and last point. We've got to become the Abrams to the lots in our lives. We've got to become the Abrams in the lots of life. So in Genesis nineteen 16, when Lot hesitated while fleeing Sodom, the angel seized his hand and the hands of his wife and two daughters and rushed them to safety outside of the city for the Lord was merciful. And that's what I did to my I seized his hand and I pulled him out. Sodom why did God have the angels do this for Lot now we have to look at verse 19:29. it says there but God had listened to Abraham's request to keep Lot safe remember Lot had drifted he was in a sinful world he was living in a city he became a leader he was compromising left right and center But somebody was praying for him. And that somebody happened to be Abram. God didn't save Lot because of Lot. He saved Lot and his family because Abram was praying for them. Lot didn't deserve to be rescued. But somewhere there was somebody who loved him and prayed for him. And for Abram's sake, God saved Lot. He sent Abram. His angels literally to pull him out of Sodom. And Abram's prayer was like a negotiation. It wasn't easy. He went to God and says, Lord, if there are 50 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, will you save them? And God said, if there's 50 righteous people, I will save them. Lord, if there are 40 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, will you save them? God said, I will save them. If they're 40, I'll save them. Lord, but what a, excuse me. But let me just ask you again. If there are 30 people, <laughs> would you save them? He says, if there are 30 righteous people, I'll save them. But Lord, forgive me. I'm like a pest. It's called pest of power. Like your kids, they power. Honestly, you're going to experience it one day. Dad, I want an ice cream. Dad? Ice cream, I want ice cream. everybody's got ice cream, Someone I want ice cream. Ah. And eventually he got to 10. He says, Lord, okay, forgive me. I'm, forgive my ignorance. Forgive me for asking you these questions. Forgive me for doubting what you're saying. But even if there's 10 righteous people, will you save them? And he said, yes. Eventually, there were four people that God saved. There were four righteous people in Sodom that God saved. Lot, his wife, and his two daughters. But his wife, sin in her heart, she desired the things of the world, and she looked back, and she turned into a pillow of salt. You see, with you and I, we need not look to anybody. We only need to look to the one, and that's Jesus Christ. And we can go to Jesus with our prayers and our petitions and say, Lord, I know my son and my two daughters, they don't know you. But open the eyes of their hearts so that they may find you, that they may receive your salvation, that they will worship you, that they will serve you. So I pray for them. I know Laureen prays for them every single day. I go to Jesus and say, Lord, Help Samantha help Tamsin, help Shannon, that they will find you. Somebody prayed for me and it took 47 years. And my daughter's turning 50 this year. Elder's daughter turns 50 this year. It's never too late. When I was 47. So there's one who's Righteous. And He's so altogether perfect and lovely that God says we can pray in His name for His sake. And God will hear our prayers. So we pray in Jesus' name. You are righteous. You're all together. You're all good. I'm praying for you right now. I'm praying for my kids and I'm praying for anybody that's sitting here right now that hasn't made a relationship with Jesus Christ. Today is the day. You don't know what's going to happen tonight. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. good friend of ours, he leads a church in Willemore, his name is Kali Vandenberg, his brother was a springback rugby player, Pierre Vandenberg, he was coaching, sorry, Piedry, Piedry Vonnenberg. he was coaching a rugby team in Texas, and what had happened, a little... A, um, way in front of them, the cops had stopped these four youngsters, they were driving very badly or something, and they stopped them, and then they sped off, and there was a cop chase, and the car went out of control, and out of nowhere, this car hit Piedre's car and killed Piedre, dead. His son is in the hospital, they were operating on his brain as we speak, and fortunately, the rest of the family are fine. But Piedre, when he got up yesterday morning, didn't know that that was going to happen. We trust that Piedre knew Jesus Christ. And I'm trusting that if you don't know Jesus, I'm going to pray right now. And if that is you, that you haven't made a commitment to Jesus, you don't know what's going to happen tonight, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, and say, Lord, I have not made a commitment for you to be my Lord and my Savior. I want to be 100% committed to you. I'm going to raise my hand because I'm going to ask everybody here just to shut their eyes and bow their heads. And I want you to raise your hand and say, Kim, I need to say that prayer to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. If that's you, just stick up your hand right now. I'm not going to rush this. I'm going to ponder on this because there are people here that have not made that commitment. And for your sake, know that God's judgment is real. You don't want to go into that fiery furnace. You don't want to go to Intel. You would rather spend your life in eternity with streets paved with gold, a mansion built for you by Jesus Christ, worshiping Him through eternity versus sitting in that furnace to being tormented, through eternity. The best decision that you could make right now is to stick up your hand and say, Kim, I need Jesus in my life.